I'd heard of Boulder, but I'd never been there until now. Curled up like a purring cat at the feet of the softened Rockies, Boulder spends its time dreaming of a better world. They were the first city in the United States to implement a carbon tax in 2006, and from the same attitude, they had a bit of a reputation for being a little proud. Full of post-secondary institutions focusing on everything from tech to environmental laboratories and wellness, Boulder makes the future feel bright. Some idyllic blend of nature and human progress. Like most small towns that encourage diversity of opinion during these dogmatic times, the traffic had been getting worse, and in recent years, the housing prices had begun to climb out of reach of the average American family. The flat irons, craggy plates of sandstone, jut out from the ground like obstinate and deranged teeth in urgent need of dentistry. And these little geologic peculiarities are greatly celebrated by the 100,000 quirky residents. I never went to see them. I really hadn't made a single stop at anything touristy yet. I had accidentally van camped outside the Denver Zoo for a night, but I didn't even know it was that until I heard an unexpected howling from a non-indigenous animal late one night. I hadn't come for the nature. I didn't care much about the collective human achievements. I didn't need a picture of me in front of the public art or the scenic views. As unfocused as I had felt thus far, I could confidently say that I was there to explore intimate perspectives and thoughtful connections. I was there to see what's on everyone's minds, but I was mostly there because that Instagram follower from Boulder had been willing to meet later that afternoon. For the few hours before him and I would meet up to record, I needed to break away from my comfort zone. I needed a hard reset, a shock to the system, a release for all this pent-up desire to contribute to the ongoing conversations people are silently having with themselves. I was searching for a stepping stone towards whatever new future I might dance towards. But I couldn't just sit and wait for the future to approach. I needed to move toward it, even if I had no idea what firm ground might catch me. I needed to do something. I was out of reasons not to try. I was bored of fearing failure. I intended to bounce back from last week's lows with the intentional steps into the eternal and obscuring darkness of whatever is always coming next. And what comes next would be the beginnings of a little project to fill this warm afternoon. The sun created a saturated yellow glow as I entered the middle of the town. According to every local everywhere I had talked to so far, in Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, they said it's been unseasonably warm this winter. They'll say it with raised eyebrows and a subtly delighted smile. It should be much colder by now, they'd say. Not good. What's not good, really, is that we've turned talking about the weather into small talk when actually climate is probably the largest problem humanity is collectively facing. Every other cause is secondary to what we are doing with the planet we live on. Why? Because every other problem requires a livable planet in order for the problem to exist, as well as allow for a solution. Climate change also exacerbates all the other problems. Humans act in response to their environment, and the environment is becoming less predictable. Less clean water, more natural disasters, collapsing ecosystems, tenuous food security. The list goes on. One generation after we invented commercial plastics, we invented the term environmental migrants. And two generations later, we now call them climate refugees. Looking ahead, we predict that by 2050, anywhere from 2 to 15% of humans, depending on who you ask, will be forced to relocate temporarily or permanently from their homes every year due to erosion, submersion, limited resources, and natural disasters. So save some boxes, we're going to need them. 
This leads me to an interesting conundrum, where I simultaneously seem to hold two irreconcilable perspectives. Number one, humans are the most destructive species on the planet. Let's explore. The Earth is 30% land and 70% ocean. Of that land, almost half of it was covered by trees of various kinds for millions of years, with some room for fluctuation. About 8,000 years before Jesus moonwalked in flip-flops on the Sea of Galilee, humans invented agriculture and started getting into the habit of cutting down far more trees than they needed just to keep warm. Now the cutting was to make way for farms and pastures. By the time we hit 1800 AD, trees had declined from covering half of all land to only about a third. And then humans hit their stride with science and industry. Naturally, what we call progress was just more efficient ways to destroy more environments. Some might say that was simply a byproduct and not the intent, but the only reason we call it the industrial revolution is because we were able to extract more utility from the earth at a more efficient rate for our own gain, leading to our own growth. Over the last hundred years, the planet has lost another billion hectares of mature forest, about the size of the United States, leaving us with a full 30% less trees than before humans planted their first crops. Most shockingly, half of all human-related forest decline occurred in just the last century, and during that same time, the number of alive humans more than tripled. Most of the deforestation serves the growing demand for both tree-based products and to create agricultural land to feed a growing population. We have conquered our planet the way we could conquer our own homes by setting our detached garage on fire. We're in charge here. While we convert trees into humans, we are also facing the fastest rate of biodiversity loss on land and in oceans. It's hard to quantify how quickly or how pervasive this loss actually is because humans have a pretty consistent track record of destroying things before they can count them, never mind understand how they work. As of 2020, we've assessed a total of only 6% of known species for extinction risks. What we do know is that from about the time that humans started making practical use of fire 70,000 years ago, until the time farming was invented 10,000 years ago, humans drove around 170 large mammals to extinction. Mammoths, awkwardly large rodents, and one of my personal favorites, or at least they would have been, the ground sloth. That quaternary extinction lasted around 60,000 years. In the last 500 years, we've lost around another 900 assorted species, and that doesn't include any of the lost species we never discovered in the vast expanses of mind-boggling depths of the largest uncharted oceanic universe, which is almost universally affected by human activity anyway. By every metric, it seems, the quality and quantity of life has been in faster decline than during all previous extinctions, and it seems to roughly parallel what most of us refer to as human progress and technological achievement and scientific advancement. It seems fair to say that we don't make any landscape better for anything except humans, and that by making the landscape better for humans, it makes it worse for nearly everything else. A few exceptions. Wheat, oats, chickens, cows, horses, sheep, they've all ridden our coattails of progress. And I'm sure they are grateful for the abundance of numbers, as long as domesticated captivity is an acceptable trade-off. Somehow, I think pigeons fall into this category too, based on what I remember in Venice and Mumbai. Otherwise, for the rest of the species out there, they better watch their backs if they have them. 
Now, I would be remiss to cherry pick reality so far as to avoid the good that we are doing for the environment. Just last year, humans have saved a handful of species, including a beloved dolphin basking in the California sunshine, an Indonesian rhinoceros, I didn't even know they had any to begin with, and a Chinese deer. No thanks to China, actually, but only to Europeans who saved a few in zoos and then repopulated the wild. There are a handful of heroes out there making painstaking efforts at the fringes of the growing problem. I encourage them to focus on their individual efforts because if they pause to think too long about the bigger picture, they might throw in the towel with an audible fuck it and head straight to the nearest brothel, upgrade their TV subscriptions, and pour a generous Malbec. Be strong, the mighty few. Beyond our environmental impact, humans are also the greatest threat to other humans. Yes, war and murder and physical harm are all technically declining per capita as a function of the so-called human progress, but in reality, the harm has just changed shape. New frontiers have created brand new, never-been-explored arenas for destruction. Instead of massacres through battle axe and tank blasts, we mostly kill fellow humans using deadly weapons of bad policy and unintended consequences. Tuberculosis from polluted air. Depression lurks on street corners in gray urban environments. Anxiety crouches behind desks and conveyor belts in most corporate and industrial complexes. Heart disease waits for us in grocery stores on the shelves. In the most elemental form, those with power are responsible for the harm endured by those without, and this has always been true. Power is the ability to create impact. And by consistently creating more problems than we solve, our impact has been overall negative. And against it all, we invent more human-centric ideas like human rights, healthcare, racism, inequality, corruption. All such actors exist as sailors on an irate pirate ship. Every sailor angling to capture the most attention, to captain the conversation, to steer us forward towards conflicting definitions of a better future. And in the Malayan scrum, the ship itself leaks, sags, and lists to one side, at 23.5 degrees to be exact. We'll brandish our arms against each other until the bitter end, it seems, complaining and outraged until there is everything to fight about and nothing left to fight for. What ecosystem is left to disrupt? What biodiversity are we willing to slash and burn in order to make more human lives more livable? What crime haven't we committed to ourselves and the planet? We've got 8 billion problems and our earth ain't one. She sinks, we sink upon it. Ugh, okay. The second idea is that humans are a neutral force on the planet. Maybe, regardless of the veracity of wide-scale collapse of our ecological structures, maybe I'm looking at it all wrong. While not immediately obvious, the first narrative heavily implies a hidden value judgment that the diversity and the quantity of life and some sort of original or natural balance are good things. I mean, why does this number of species matter? Why is biological diversity beneficial? Says who? Humans? Who cares what they think? They're just a smear of opinionated peanut butter across the crust of the earth. Really, when you zoom out far enough, human values mean nothing more set against the magnitude of the chaotic cosmos and the spectacular universe. Humans are as critical as landlines, as relevant as truck nuts. We're just the unexpected vapor of a galactic sneeze. In the 14 billion years, or just one universe existence, the humans and their thoughts have mattered not for a single moment. Nothing means anything because meaning is a concept created by the human mind. It has often said that we are meaning-making machines. 
We tell stories, we fabricate value judgments, we compare who we are with who we'd like to be, how the earth is and how the earth used to be. Our reality is just a messy existence within our brains, full of puzzles we aren't sure how to solve. We humans are drowning in self-created illusions and myths while desperately trying to understand and learn. But we are simply trapped inside our skulls, all while some largely imperceptible reality rages on. What about urban sprawl matters when the universe is expanding at an immeasurable pace? Who cares if we created Garbage Island while the new planets are spinning themselves into a dizzy existence? What gives if we've invented new organisms in our petri dish while solidified lava billions of whatevers away are currently forming rock beds that will one day be home to entirely new ecosystems billions of whatevers into the future? I would say light years or millennia, but what the hell is a year or a millennia in the grand scheme of things? Light itself only matters to humans because that's how humans' most vital sense perceives reality. Science be damned, we humans invented empirical data to make sense of whatever is going on as best as we can using human senses and human brains and human languages. But what do we know, really? Again, still, and always, we are infinitely trapped in the subjectivity of our own collective perception. Who gives us the right to decide how long time is or how large space is? Why do we get to decide what the definition of life is, never mind intelligent life? Even the concept of time and space itself are simply approximations of how reality surely must work, both coming with some asterisks and rounding errors in more complex extrapolations. Our very theories and concepts of time and space are just ideas, but somehow whether I've got a beer sitting beside me or not while I write this is considered a fact. Our certainty is a meaningless illusion. The entire concept of meaning is an illusion. Nothing means anything. Oh, for some, this idea sounds like it's the epitome of hopelessness, but it's not. Hope is actually a human experience, not an independent thing you go find. It's not real except to those who create it in their minds. What would you like to hope for or do next? You are free now. Morality, every should you've ever heard, is a social construct and you now choose and create the morality and the reality that you want to experience, perhaps only up to the limitations of what being human allows. Every parking ticket and patriarchy, insult and sultan, haircut and close call, coincidence and consciousness, all are simply the universe happening. The universe is doing what the universe will do, and making you to do what you want to do is a product of that energy flow. This entire planet is a speck of cosmic dust floating upon ripples of a galactic pond, pooling in a filthy gutter or gleaming aqueduct of the universe filled with whatever and everything. We can stop pretending to have answers and release ourselves from the responsibility of creating them. We are just humans, and any answers or stories or religions or moralities that we create are simply the product of our limited, mushy minds. Pay no heed then to the bigger picture, unless you want to. Because we are just humans doing what humans do, creating art and coating the lands in plastic and pavement. The earth is our canvas. We rush for gold, dig diamonds, burying in its place oil spills and landfills, but we can do so without repent. We are fulfilling our purpose simply by being and doing whatever we be or do. We are resurfacing the planet in exactly the way that we were designed to. The earth made us. We evolved from it, because of it, for it. Just like it made the rain to quench the rainforest's thirst, just like the solar system made the moon to give rise to high tides and strong desires to kiss in its dim light.
It's not intelligent design necessarily because intelligent is simply a meager attempt to personify something so much more magnificent and mind-boggling than we could ever hope to be. Intelligence is a faulty way to look for and understand other life because intelligence is a human-centric criteria. We are the most intelligent, so we look for intelligence on Earth and in the stars. Labeling intelligence is a masturbatory celebration of finding things that seem like us everywhere we go. God would have no business conforming to any concept as meager as intelligence. The idea of God is, after all, just the mathematical solution of undefined that we feel compelled to give name and meaning. Who made us? God. What gives rise to everything? God. What should we search for? Answers to who God is and the clues of meaning we can live by. The more optimistic among us refer to God as love, but only because above all other neurological states, we crave and celebrate love. God to a caterpillar might as well be leaves. Eat your heart out. Now, we came from the Sahara Desert, from the sand that turned into trees that allowed for humans and now through desertification that is coming, we'll actually be returning to our original form. Perhaps every essential grain of sand that has ridden the air currents from northern Africa, across the Atlantic, and into the Amazon rainforests, all to provide nutritive sustenance, is really indicative of the true cycle of life, from dust to dust. Our planet doesn't need us and doesn't resent us because our planet itself is merely fulfilling the effects of its own causes by giving rise to our form. Submit and feel relief in this. There is no sadness in realizing that you are everything and nothing. To surrender to what the universe is, was, isn't, could be, and will become, and relinquish all the self-centered beliefs that everything matters and that you are special. The only thing we know for sure is that knowledge, most likely, is worthless beyond its utility to our own human so-called advancement. And so, global warming and boot-cut genes, corruption and prayer, materialism and sexting, pandemics and piñatas, snowflakes and tea cozies, this is all just the earth doing what the earth does. Humans gently resurfacing the upper crust into pavement and plastic is just humans doing what humans do, in the same way that the Milky Way exists only because our brains tend to see and name things when they appear to us to be grouped. Things only have meaning because we give them the meaning. Things only have value because we ascribe the value. Things only exist the way that they do because we say that that's how they exist. So you are free. Go sit in a busy place and contemplate how nothing matters or that you have at least no access to whatever true meaning might exist. Just spend five quiet minutes watching it all unfold. You might actually feel terribly depressed watching dogs pass by, feeling sunshine tickle your skin, or noticing the neurological reaction you have to a beautiful woman. But if you sit with it all for long enough, you realize how free this makes you, how liberated you can become from all the stories and rules and ideas that control your life. In less time than you expect, you can start realizing that you get to do whatever you truly want. Whatever comes next for you is up to you, and it matters not at all in these dimensions, because there are so many more dimensions to confuse and inspire you before and after this one, beyond the narrow band of reality you can perceive and exist within. So what was that about dolphins and destruction? Perhaps coke bottles and viral pandemics are just another sort of abundance, another caused effect of some greater and invisible purpose or purposelessness. Viva la plastic revolution. 
There is no such thing as progress or decline, biodiversity or destruction, and humans are simply absolved from our self-imposed morality. You can do whatever the fuck you want. We cannot destroy that which we never created because any destruction is simply another ripple of creation. Two different perspectives, that we are either the most destructive thing on the earth or that destruction is a myth, the conundrum persists. Circling downtown Boulder, I parked the van in a stall I was lucky or destined to find, slid the clunky transmission into park, turned off the key, and put my head on the steering wheel. All right, my man, I said, we're doing this. Just try. Just do something. I clothed myself in the full schwa, complete with the hat, the gold aviator, snakeskin print jeans, black collarless shirt, and frayed gray cardigan. In one comedic trip down the street, I clutched a carnival with my limbs and assorted chaos hanging from my body. Under my right arm, I squeezed a small black collapsible camping table. This item felt especially validating because after a month on the road, I hadn't done anything with this table except shuffle it around each night while uncurling my jelly roll of a bed. I had a small camping chair, one of those low-to-the-ground, feet-in-the-river kind of chairs that somehow pairs well with sparkling rosé, radiohead, and escapism. Under my left arm, I carried a small wooden stool from Ghana, a gift from my sister. Yes, the same African stool that had so far seemed completely unjustifiable was now suddenly critical to this plan. My go-everywhere to-me bag hung off my shoulders, stuffed with laptop and several notebooks. Clutched in my right hand was a handle for the reusable shopping bag filled with two microphones, cords, and other recording gear necessary for podcasting. I walked purposely to Pearl Street, their pedestrian-only cobbled brick and sandstone thoroughfare lined with trinket shops and ice cream. On an unseasonably sunny Sunday, the street was bustling with my fellow humans, my loves, my compatriots, me fellow pirates on this wild ship. Many appeared to be on vacation, snapping more photos and living more in the moment than most locals ever achieve. We have to go somewhere else to feel present, it seems. Joggers were jogging dogs, buskers were busking songs, a few homeless people and grandparents occupied benches and garden ledges. A man ahead of me stood with his phone held up to his ear and waved, apparently to the person he was looking for somewhere behind me. There was a lazy buzz. If the world is burning, we could still enjoy the borrowed summer day, right? Smiles abounded around me as some of them turned to curious stares when they saw me trundling amongst them. I chose a patch of space that would enjoy sunshine the longest, right in the middle of the street. There was no escape from the awareness of how short the days were. Being this close to the mountains meant that the tall and lumpy horizon would thieve a final hour or two of daylight and warmth in a way that would horrify prairie dwellers. I had a couple hours tops before it got too cold and dark. Setting up the table, I placed the stool at one end for myself, the camping chair at the other, pointed a microphone in each direction, unfolded the laptop, and connected the cords. Sitting on the stool, my knees hugged up to my chest as I completed a quick sound check to see how clean the recording would be with the bustle of people, dogs, distant traffic, and dingling shop bells. A few people trailed me with their eyes as they passed by, wondering as much as I was about what would happen next. This is a test in downtown Boulder. I am sitting on a little stool. I've got my little studio set up right on Main Street. 
and uh, I'm just gonna see if anyone's interested in having some uh, conversations against maybe a little bit of wind noise, maybe a little bit of traffic noise. Um, but yeah, we'll see who's out here and uh, I'm just gonna ease into this and see what works, see what doesn't. Once the setup was complete, I simply sat there, hands on my knees, facing the two-way traffic of pedestrians passing on each side of my strange street stage. I smiled gently to no one and everyone, offering nods to whoever happened to look my way. Most of them either smiled back or just kept staring as long as their trajectory kept me in sight. What was I doing? What was I hoping for? Two microphones and a weirdo, but no sign, no branding, no explanation. I was prepared to sit there for a couple of hours in silence. I had flashbacks to lemonade stands as a kid, watching the cars drive by and wondering as a seven-year-old at the psychology that makes certain people scoff and others stop and pay double. I was really good at lemonade stands. Was there anyone in Boulder thirsting for conversation? Lemonade had been 50 cents, but what I was offering now was free. Hey, what are you doing? She called to me from 30 feet away. Dozens of people were between us. She was maybe 20, sitting on the brick ledge with six or seven girlfriends, clutching waffle cones filled with cookies and cream and pistachio. I looked in her direction, and then the rest of them looked back in mine, with dripping ice cream and wide eyes. What is he doing? I'm asking unexpected questions looking for unexpected answers, I said. They all paused, looked at me, and then looked back at the girl who had inquired. She immediately stood up. Okay, I'm in, she said. She almost skipped over. I pretended this was the hundredth time I had this enthusiastic reaction, but inside I felt a kind of impersonal validation, not tied to my ego or self-worth, but a sign that this was a step in an important and useful direction. In her, at least, I had struck something that compelled her enough to sit down in the low camping chair. Her friends formed a standing audience, towering above us, wondering what kind of busking or street art or entertainment this would turn out to be. The only difference between their curious anticipation and mine was that mine was laced with the pressure of needing to come up with the answer as well. I released the pressure before I spoke. I didn't really have an agenda. What's your name? I asked. Anne-Marie. I'm Schwa. Nice to meet you. You've got a couple of friends with you here. Who's this? This is Natalie Catherine. Natalie Catherine. Hello. As she explained why they were in Boulder, Colorado, visiting from Alabama, I fiddled with the volume knobs, realizing that her microphone was down too low. Um, go and do missions here in Denver. We um, are here with a program called Christ in the City, okay. and they do inner city missions with um, the poverty. Okay, awesome. So you guys are in Boulder looking to do that kind of work? Well, we were in, in downtown Denver, okay, but downtown this Denver. is our last day. I was so going to say, here. there's not a lot of like... This isn't, I mean, here you're eating ice cream. It's, pre yeah, it's pretty cool here. This yeah. is our tour day. We, yeah. We're leaving tonight. Nice. So yes. tell me about, because I was just in downtown Denver as well. Okay. And uh, I'm very fascinated by the homeless problems in different cities across North America. Okay. And, uh, and it's actually, you know, there's a lot of similarities no matter what city you go to, but there's also things that make it stand out. Mm -hmm. So when you were in downtown Denver talking with some of the homeless people, mm -hmm. uh, what are, what's something that stood out to you as unique compared to, say, where you came from or where you grew up? Um, well, on the day-to-day... I, I think overall it was a really cool experience just being able to have these conversations mm. with the homeless because it's not something that I um, engage in very often, especially in Auburn, Alabama. We don't really have a lot of homeless. So just um, in general. What'd you guys do with them all? With them? Yeah. We, no, what'd well, you do with all the homeless in Auburn, Alabama? We just walked around and, oh, oh, oh. Well, there's some 
So it's just illegal to be homeless yes. in, uh, in Alabama. Pretty much. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, um, well, the Christ in the City program, and um, I guess, what would you call that organization? Um, they just create friendships and relationships with these homeless uh, people and uh, kind of allow themselves to open up and love these people. And it's not as much as a, as a like, we give you um, whatever, say money or, or help you find a job at first, but it's more of just like, we want to talk to you and get to know you because I mean, some of these people haven't heard their names being called in, in weeks, you know, just like even to ask them what their name is and, and um, ask them their interests and where they're from. So when you were in, when you're talking to these people in downtown Denver and you're actually, you know, using their name and you're having these conversations, how long have you been here? And, and did you notice a change in kind of their demeanor as you go over time, as you become more familiar with them? So sadly, we've only been here for the weekend. Okay. So we only got to go out on the streets and, and walk around uh, just a few times, once or twice. But you can see, because the, the missionaries that live here full time uh, do it multiple times a week and they walk the same routes. So they see the same people. Yep. And you can see the excitement and like the relationships that are already formed. And they know the names of these people. They'll, you'll see someone like just say sitting on the on the side of the street and they're like oh hey there's joe let's go talk to joe and then joe's like oh hey guys so they there's really a sense of community there yes already. yeah and yeah. so they really form these true friendships with these people and and they'll be like oh emory this this guy's like hilarious like he's gonna crack you up you know just like they know these people and when you when you see them kind of support each other like that does it feel the same or stronger or weaker or just different than the way that you are supported by your friends and your friends support each other. What's the difference there in that in that kind of relationship that you see them have with each other compared to what you're familiar with? Um, well, if I'm being honest, there really is is not a whole lot of a difference between the way that totally. th these missionaries interact with our friends on the streets because they they are pursuing that friendship. It's not it's it's about like knowing them and loving them, which I think is the yep. same thing especially with my friends. They're amazing people who who love to love and that's what nice. these missionaries are doing for for these um, homeless people on the streets and just giving them a friend like and truly just giving these people friendship and relationship yeah. what do you think is going to happen when you leave in terms of like developing like continuity like if you guys are here for a couple days and you develop yeah. that friendship what's the longevity what's the play Where, how do you keep that going um well i think personally i've learned a lot even just within the last few short days, I've I've been able to see a lot of um, really learning to see Jesus in every single person that I meet. You see know, what? Jesus. Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and being able to, um, I guess, take what I have um, not for granted, and knowing that like I have been given. Um, a lot in this life and I need to be grateful for that and with that I, I need to put that forth to do things for others you know yeah so kind of coming here inserting yourself into their world mm -hmm. has kind of uh, given you a sense of gratitude for what you have but also just awareness of what's actually going on yes sir and yes. so if perhaps they have benefited a little bit by you being here maybe you've benefited a lot and other mm -hmm. people will benefit as a result of you having been here because 
you go forward now with a slightly different perspective than you yes. otherwise would have had. Yeah, for sure. Cool. That's really important. Yeah. Have you traveled a lot? Yes, I have. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I've been blessed. My my dad really likes to travel, so we get to do that a lot. Nice. And wh where's one of the places that stands out as the most striking uh, human experiences that you've had? For me, personally, uh, I got to go to um, Mexico, also for missions, and we went to this place south, it's in like the middle of the jungle, south of Querétaro, okay. and um, it is just in the middle of nowhere village with yeah. these people, and um, they are the most kind, joyful people I've ever met, and they have very little. Right. And for me, that was probably one of the most like impactful human experiences I have ever, ever had in my life because I saw how little they had, but yet they were so joyful and so kind and so welcoming and gave us so much of what they had. I mean, the women were taking everything out of their, their pantries and, and making dinner for us, spending all day cooking for us, making these big feasts of the small like bit of food that they had for us, like welcoming. Yeah, the generosity among people that already don't have a lot is somehow very counterintuitive, right? Mm -hmm. If they don't have it, why are they giving it? Yes. And yet at yeah. the same time, when they do, that's one of the most inspiring ways to connect with other humans that you can imagine, exactly. right? Yes. Yeah. So do you guys find that you're in situations where you're constantly thinking, like, even if you have what you have, are there ways that you can, can give? And like, are you looking for those opportunities or is it mostly within uh, like structured formats and missions trips? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, yeah. Could we all be looking a little bit more for those situations of, of giving when it uh, when we don't feel like we have something? For sure, for sure. Something that um, Christ in the City, like this um, mission this program that we're here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they talk about um, the virtue of magnanimity, and it is to give a hundred percent of yourself in everything that you do, mm. um, and that I feel like can go really into just like spreading love and um, giving and serving to others in, in any place that you're in in life, whether that be like for us at school and college, yeah. um, serving others and, and being a friend to those who need it or in the workplace or just even on the streets, like smiling, being kind, asking how someone's day is. Nice. I think that you can yeah. you can do missions wherever. Yeah, and, it's, and a, it's actually more of a state of mind. Mm -hmm, like exactly. Service is, service is really just a state of mind exactly. at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So when you guys move on from uh, from here and you go back home, uh, what's the next thing that you're really excited to give out 100% to? Mm. Wow, that's a good question. Well, cause, um, and, the, and the reason I ask it that way is because if we if we just say we like to give 100%, what ends up happening is we actually don't ever give 100%. Mm -hmm. uh, but when we have an intention of giving 100% to the thing that we choose to focus on, where your focus goes is where your energy flows. Yes. So what is the thing that you... And it might be like really simple. It could be what you're going to do on one day a week from now, or mm -hmm. it could be what you're going to do for a year starting a week from now. But what's that thing where you're going to give focus and intention to? And something simple, something mm -hmm. big. Um, so... There is a lot actually coming up this next semester that I'm really excited for and really like need to focus on giving 100% of myself to. But I think the one that I, I most want to, I guess, excel in and put 
100% of my effort in would be I am starting a Bible study nice. this next semester um, yeah. for students, other students specifically, and I'm in a Greek community. Okay. Um, and so kind of outreach in, in a community that sometimes isn't necessarily um, looking in places that are good and virtuous and, you know, and kind of just like branching out and trying to serve in that way in that community. Wow, so you're going to be inserting yourself into a place, a kind of a community, uh, an experience where something like a Bible study isn't necessarily um, familiar or welcome or normal, mm-hmm. and you're going to try and pioneer the experience of trying to craft something with like-minded people and, and with people that aren't like-minded that might just be curious. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's really exciting. Exactly. Yeah, so hopefully. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to give 100% of myself give 100%. to that. 100%. I love yes. that. Yeah. yeah. Because even if it fails, like say say it doesn't work, right? Like uh-huh. say is you set it up and nobody comes the first time. Yeah. It's probably going to happen. And then what? And then... I keep trying. I mean, I have an awesome support system. I mean, Catherine here, she's the one discipling me and, and helping me um, kind of set this up and, and give myself to this. So I have her and a lot of other people, like my friends, to back me up and, and to be there when I when I maybe get hurt by no one wanting to come, but to keep pushing me forward and, and knowing that that's like the best thing for me and the best thing for the people that I could potentially reach and serve. I love that answer. I think you're. I think. I think the quality of that answer alone tells me that you have a perseverance and a perspective on what you're trying to do that will supersede the context of whatever trials and tribulations come up while you're trying to explore and try something new. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if no, if nobody shows up, you're right. Then you keep trying. Then you lean on your support network, and then you also remember not to take it personally because it isn't personal, right? Yes, yes. You're putting yourself in specifically into an environment that will push back, so that you strengthen, but that you're also giving something that isn't in that environment. So you mm-hmm. have to build up a critical mass of momentum of your own confidence to bring it into that situation and say, okay, this isn't welcome, this isn't comfortable, but that's why I'm doing it. And so then you just keep going and. Shit will happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it Most might likely, not, it might not even be that happens. Like maybe that never takes off. But the perseverance and the confidence that you have in yourself to have put yourself in that situation and tried something that didn't feel like it was a sure thing. Mm-hmm that confidence is going to propel you forward in something else in life that you do as well. Yeah. And more importantly, when other people see you do that, they are going to get inspired by watching you do something like that, putting yourself outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And then if nothing else, then they're going to think, what am I passionate about? What do I want to give 100% to? And then they're going to see that you didn't quit, right? And that you tried and that you at least gave it your best. Mm-hmm. And if more people are doing that, then I think that we stand a chance to make a bigger difference in the world in ways that we're not actually aware of that are happening. Yes. Yeah. So you can, always take, you can always take some energy and some confidence from, from just having tried and then trying again in a different way. Uh, do you know who David Goggins is? I do not. Okay. He wrote, he wrote a book called Can't Hurt Me. Uh, it's a cool book. Totally recommend it. He was a Navy SEAL. And he realized that the relationship that we have with pain and discomfort is actually the most important relationship that we can have for personal growth. Mm -hmm. So what he says is that uh, when you're putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation and you're kind of getting that 40% mark and you're like, this, this actually really sucks. Like I'm not, I'm not getting any of the validation. I'm not getting any of the momentum, but I just keep showing up and I'm doing my part and I'm waiting for the world to meet me back. 
the choice to actually keep going in that situation neurologically changes your brain because your brain says, I don't like this. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I want out. And when we're running and we're, and we're pushing ourselves and we're like, okay, I'm tired. It's actually what we do after we decide that we're tired that actually creates a, a, a sense of strength and fitness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so when you're putting yourself in that situation and nobody's showing up, or you're not getting validation and whatever it is in life, and then you say, but I'm going to stick with it just a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. That's the most important gap that a lot of people just say, well, it didn't work, it wasn't comfortable, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I'll go find something else. Because then we're just looking for something that's easy. And if you're looking for things that are easy, what do you get? You get nothing, right? Like the, the things that we're most proud of are the things that we actually had to fight for and push for. And that even if we think that other people are doubting us, they're probably not. We're actually doubting ourselves using their voices. And so it's actually pushing through that, that gives us a sense of pride and, and accomplishment in our own life. Mm-hmm. Does that sound, does it sound like it resonates? Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, sure. Anne Marie, I'm really excited to see what you do. Oh, thank you so much. I think it's so going to be an, an incredible adventure, and I'm thank proud of you, you for sitting down with somebody you don't even know and having a conversation <laughs> like this. Well, thank you. It was a great <laughs> conversation. I enjoyed it. Yeah, cool. That's great. Well, thank I you very you much. I hope you have an awesome day. Absolutely. You too. Okay. First of all, your hair is awesome. Thank you. Um, what's your name? My name is Bug. Bug? Yeah. B-U-G? That's right. I like that, man. Thank you. Did you choose that? I did. Nice. <laughs> what made you choose Bug? I like bugs. You like bugs? Yeah. Okay. And we're just living life. So that's why. What do you mean? Uh, like life is too short not to choose a cool name. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Life is too short to not choose a cool name. What's your name? Schwa. Schwa. Oh, like, like the letter. What do you mean? Like a schwa. Is that a letter? Yeah. I've, I've never seen a letter schwa. Mm, okay. <laughs> you'll, have to, you'll have to draw it for me. I'm very curious about this. I actually this. don't think I could draw it. I don't know what it is. Is it like a Greek letter? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to look that up. I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so um, so Bug. Yes. Where are you from? Mm, I live in Boulder. Okay, you live in Boulder? Uh, I've lived here for seven years. Nice. Yeah. Do you move here with family? Yeah. Okay. I... What do you do that you're most passionate about in Boulder? Like, do as in occupation or? Whatever it is that you do that you're most passionate about. I make kombucha. You make kombucha? I do. Okay. Is this something that you picked up uh, on your own or were you shown it by somebody else? Yeah, my... A uh, family member got me some kombucha making materials okay. for the holidays, and I started a couple years ago. Yeah. And yeah, it just became my hobby. Wow, that's <laughs> a really cool hobby. Uh, is it is it something where you're like always tweaking the recipe, or like what's the what's the process of getting good at making kombucha? Yeah, I did it wrong for a while. No you make doubt. it with a specific type of tea, and I was using the wrong tea. Okay. So I figured that out, and then I learned how to add flavors. So I started making, you know, rosemary kombucha and all that stuff. So. Nice. When did you know that you were really into making kombucha? Oh, I don't know. I feel like before I started making kombucha, I liked it because it's. Uh, I like the taste. Okay. I've always wanted to make it. So, so you like drinking it, and yeah. you became from a drinker to a maker. Yeah, exactly. That's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, I like shoes, but I don't make my own yeah. shoes. <laughs> so that's pretty impressive. I like your jacket, by the way, man. Yeah, that's awesome. So when when you make kombucha. 
Are you are you like very engrossed in making kombucha, or is it kind of like a you kind of do a little bit and then you kind of have to move on, or like kind of tell me about the flow of like what's it like to make it? It takes about an hour per batch, and you do it every approximately every two weeks. Okay. You have to filter out the old kombucha, and then you the old batch you turn into the flavors and bottle it, and then you make the new batch, and you have a scoby, which is like a, a symbiotic colony of bacterial yeast okay and so then you have to put that into the new batch of tea so okay. you make the new batch with all the sugar and all the things you need to put in it put the scoby in that and then you add whatever flavors you want to add bottle it and that's the process it takes about an hour that's awesome and then when can you drink it a couple mm. weeks later about three days after you bottle it oh that's pretty quick yeah yeah so you can make a lot of kombucha yeah how much kombucha are you making right now i make like three gallons at a time okay so three gallons per two weeks okay yeah and is that just for personal consumption or are you starting to share with some friends i just give it out to whoever wants it nice <laughs> so you got like a craft kombucha company in the in, in in the basement of your house yes exactly that's <laughs> awesome what's the what's the goal um to get people to like kombucha Nice. Yeah. Okay, so you're doing it for the true, pure love of kombucha exactly. itself. Exactly. <laughs> Do you find that, that a lot of people don't like kombucha? Yeah, or they think it's, like, pretentious. Okay, well, you know, everything everything could be pretentious if you want it to oh, be, yeah. right? Like, like <laughs> you could be pretentious. You could be pretentious. I could be pretentious. But once you actually get past people's stories about the thing that you're doing, you find out what you're passionate about. You should just do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's awesome, man. So uh, is this something that you intend to kind of scale up over time or is it kind of just like going to stay in that hobby phase for now as time goes on? Yeah, well, I just want to find a way to like, get it out to more people. Okay. Not necessarily like, make money or anything, but just make more. <laughs> nice. So do you guys have like, because um, uh, you live here. Yeah. Uh, do you guys have like farmer's markets and things like that where you could partner with somebody to kind of get it onto some tables and shelves? Yeah, I guess I was considering... Um, bring it to the farmer's market. I just yeah. don't really know how to go about doing that. Yeah. Well, I would say it's never about, this is an important piece of advice. It's never about how to do something. It's who knows how to do something. So what, you, what your goal is, is not to figure out how to do it, is to figure out who knows how to do it. And I would start by going to a farmer's market or a little festival or whatever's popping up and finding out, you know, seeing there might be somebody that makes kombucha there and maybe... Uh, they're looking for some help at our partnership and maybe you've got a lot of the passion dude people love passion right yeah. like if you're passionate about something then somebody wants you to help them yeah so always look for people that are passionate and then and then become curious yourself and when you're just looking for people that are passionate about things that you're interested in then you will find ways to collaborate or assist each other all the time yeah that's good I like that nice man <laughs> um so what 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 you brought you down to is this like the main street? I just got here today. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Wait, where are you from? I'm from Canada. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I just uh, I've just <laughs> been living in a van and traveling across uh, North America. Um, I quit my job. I sold everything that I own, and uh, I'm basically going around trying to have conversations with people about a few things: personal growth, like uh -huh. how you're trying to push yourself to become a better person, yeah. self awareness, realizing who you already are and what what resonates within you yeah and then human connection how are we impacting the world around oh. each other and having meaningful interactions i like that so i've started a podcast on this uh I, i'm in the process of writing a book uh and i'm living in the van to basically figure out uh you know what's the best way to connect with other people and 
and to do that in a way where it can be a, a lighthearted, easy conversation, but that we get something out of it, that we l each learn something, and that we might shift each other's perspectives on something. And if we can do that enough times, then I think that I can build a sense of like community and momentum that turns us into something that sustains itself financially. Yeah, that's sick. That's do you have, what any, I'm looking for. Do you have any advice for me? Um. Oh my gosh, I have to search my mental book of advice. Nice. <laughs> I like that you even have one. You just got to figure out where you put it now. Open up a page. <laughs> yeah. Um, You're a great conversation. Yeah, oh. I love that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Um, do you think that you're a great conversationalist? All right. Yeah, you're all right. <laughs> what do you think makes a great conversationalist? Um, make the other person happy by engaging them with interesting questions that they can Right, asking people questions, a sense of curiosity and passion, right? And support, there's something you said, where it's like, when we show up to somebody else and we just want to be there for them, then they get that sense of like uh, camaraderie, that sense of community, that sense of like shared excitement about whatever is going on, right? Yeah. Man, that's, that's great, I appreciate that. Thank you. I have your advice. Okay. I searched the book. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Speak speak a little louder. Okay, the That'll be so perfect. my piece of advice is always reach out first. Like, to always people. Always reach out first. Always reach out to people. Okay. As soon as you think of someone, you reach out to them. I was thinking of you. Hey, you want to hang out? Let's go get ice cream right now. Yeah, I love that. You know what? That's actually really interesting, Buck, because a lot of the times... A lot of the times we we think about the people, but we don't reach out to them. Yeah. Which is just thinking without doing, which is useless. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're just always thinking and you're never doing, what are you doing? No. Right? But you're saying, when you think about them, reach out to them. Yeah. Nice. And make time for them. Make time. Yeah. So you, would you consider yourself a, a, a social person? Yes. Yeah, I would say so too, man. <laughs> if, you, if you're coming to sit down here, talk with me. <laughs> You know, you just you're you're interested in expanding awareness and learning about new things. Yeah, you're a social person. What do you think the benefit to you has been of constantly being approachable to people and and thinking about people? Like, what do you notice changes in your life? What do you notice changes around you? I've met a lot of people with a lot of different perspectives. When I think maybe if I hadn't, I would have met a very small, a similar group of people. I've met yep. people from all over the world and I think that's helped me a lot. That's amazing. Yeah, that, that curiosity, man. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. I, I appreciate love that. that. Yeah. Love curiosity. Love curiosity. <laughs> I always say that there's three, there's three things that we need to be looking for in every interaction. You ready? These are the three. Yeah. If you just live and die by these three, I think that it's going to do incredible things for your life. And I think it already is because I think you guys embody them very well. Number one, curiosity. Yeah. Right? Be curious about others. Be curious about why things... The next time you see something that you don't like, you know, somebody dresses stupid or or they're, they're drunk and they're yelling on the streets, instead of forming a judgment, which is going from you outward, instead, change that to curiosity, which is going from them inward. What does this mean, right? What, what can I learn from this? What's actually going on when I get past my own judgments and stories and insecurities? Curiosity. Number two, gratitude. There's always something to be grateful for. And gratitude isn't some cheesy shit where you're just where you're just sitting there trying to be happy while things are going wrong. It's actually mentally training your brain. Mentally training your brain to notice the things that are already there that should be appreciated, right? So it's mental resilience that comes from gratitude. And the third one is acceptance. 
There needs to be a level of acceptance where we're not trying to change other people. We're not trying to change the world around us. We're actually just appreciating what the world is and what the situation is that we find ourselves in and rest into that present moment and say, okay, well, this is here. This is how I am right now. This is who I'm with. This is what I'm doing. And even if it's not everything that it could be, no one moment will hold everything. So instead we need to be able to focus on what we can accept about this present moment. So between gratitude, curiosity, and acceptance, I think that those are the three fundamental traits that can change a day, a minute, a life, a conversation. Mm. Any thoughts on that? I like that. I'm gonna keep that. Okay, <laughs> I hope you do. Yeah, I hope you don't just like get up and forget this conversation yeah. even happened. <laughs> I can't, you're wearing too cool of a hat for oh. me to forget. Thanks man, I, <laughs> yeah, I had this made in Toronto over the summer and uh, I decided that it, it, it helps attract the right people mm. because when you wear, like when you're wearing this that stands out and I noticed you got that little, um, uh, that your necklace and your and your hair. Oh. Like when you choose things like that, what ends up happening is we use fashion as a way to communicate with other people without words. So when, when people see what you're wearing and they like it and it's ambiguous or it's trendy or it's unique or whatever it might be, and then they gravitate towards that, you know that it's not, it's not about the superficiality of it. It's about that they understand the energy that you're trying to portray, that you're putting out there and saying, let's just be a little different. Let's just do our thing. Like you said, life's too short just to have a, uh, to not choose a cool name. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. a great line, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you guys. Thanks for coming by. Appreciate is, that. Is this like a podcast? It will be, yeah. I, I, if you have Instagram, uh, yeah. I am uh, on schwa, so S-H-U-A dot wanders. Okay. Schwa dot wanders. And maybe, could you take a photo of the two of us and then uh, and then uh, you could like text it to me or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. S-H-U-A dot wanders. W-A-N-D-E-R. very proud of you for sitting down with somebody you don't know. Oh, Especially yeah. when you have a friend who's trying to talk you out of it. <laughs> yeah. I like your per- perseverance. What's your name? Um, I'm Josephine. Josephine. I, I go by Joe. Go, you go by Joe? Yes. Then go by Joe. I love it. <laughs> you don't have to You don't have to use your full name if you don't want to use your yeah. full name. The last guy I talked to, his name was Bug. How interesting. Yeah. And I said, did you choose that name? And he said, yeah, of course I did. Cool. And I said, why did you choose Bug? He said, because life's not, life's too short not to have a cool name. So whatever that's you 100%. whatever you want to go by, just go by it. Yeah, yeah, that's for great. Sure. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go deep with you right away here. Okay. What's something that makes you really uncomfortable? Really uncomfortable. Oh, um, I don't know. I feel like I'm a pretty comfortable person with a lot of like serious topics. Yeah. Um. So then, does does small talk make you uncomfortable? No, I really enjoy small talk. You like small talk? I do okay. like small talk. Um. What about conflict? No, I like, I, I like approaching people about things that I don't like. Okay. Like sorting it out. Where did you, where did you cultivate that kind of an experience um, or desire? I would say, well, my mom was, she's a very like upfront person. Okay. And so I think like she and my dad did not have a very healthy relationship. Okay. And so I watched from a very young age, her interacting with him and making sure that he like standing up for herself and like, she was standing up, she was for, standing herself? up for herself and okay. like calling him on his shit. Oh, sorry. Can oh, I, you can okay. definitely swear. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think there I just learned to stick up for myself and when I didn't like how something was going to advocate for myself. Yep. 
So in, in uh, dating relationships, how do you find that that, uh, that shows up? Um, I mean, I think pretty well it frustrates me when they're passive aggressive or like don't um, let me know how they're feeling. Mm. Um, and sometimes I think it can lead to very explosive arguments. Yep. Um, do you get like, do you get, so do you get like frustrated when you realize that they're being passive aggressive and they're not just saying what they think? Yes. Okay. And then what do you do? Um, well, I yell at them for not saying what they think. Okay. Five seconds. Five seconds. We're going to find it. It's fine. Um, this is Chloe. Hi, Chloe. Good luck. Um, when, when you see that they're being passive aggressive, okay, we're, this is kind of what I think we want to nail in on. Okay. When you see that they're being passive aggressive, and then you're frustrated because you wish they just. And what do you say? Like, what's the thing that you say? I say, just tell me how you feel. Just tell me how me. Tell me how you feel. Right. Because I. Because it's like they want me to fix something that I don't know what they want me to fix. Right. Right. And so, do you find that you're often trying to read into what they must want? Yeah. Okay. How's that work? Um. Well, sometimes, um, like I can be a little bit people think that I'm a little bit clingy, I guess, okay. because I am like always asking, like checking up on them, like asking questions like, well, how did you feel when this happened? Like, how are you, how did that make you feel? Yeah. Um, cause I want to be able to understand people yep. so that I don't feel like they're not being straight up with me. Right. Okay. So what, what you're, what I hear is that you're always trying to be in touch with other people's feelings mm -hmm. and you want them to know how they feel. And then you want to know how they feel. Right. And because you grew up in a house where your mom was able to express how she felt, mm -hmm. right? Uh, is that true? Yes. So you, you probably are pretty good at uh, at articulating your feelings. You have a good I vocabulary so. there, right? Yeah. And the confidence to share it once you have those words. Yes, I think so. Have you considered that the people that you wish that are we'll call them passive aggressive, but I you okay. know I think it's I think it's different than that. So I think okay. I don't think that they're passive aggressive. It's kind of like when we use the word um, uh, gaslighting or when we use, right. uh, 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 well, you're just being defensive. And it's like, what, these are very accusatory words that don't actually describe the mechanisms of what's going on for these people underneath the surface. So somebody who's passive aggressive, it's not that they're trying to be passive and aggressive. It's often the case that they lack the self-confidence mm. to be and or the vocabulary, which is the two things that right. you have around sharing it. about emotions, right? Yeah. And so when, when they don't actually know that they can say it and feel safe, right? Or how to say it, even if they did feel safe, then often what it comes out in is those little passive microaggressions or, right. or them being indirect because quite frankly, and this is, this is the thing, Joe, they don't know how to be direct. Right. They don't know how. For sure. And so... Sometimes I've found that when I'm around people that are passive aggressive um, and then you start pushing them, well, just tell me how you feel. Mm -hmm. It actually, what, what does that do? Well, then they get more pissed off and then they, they're like, I don't know. They, pass they the shut anger. down a little pass bit. The, exactly. They yeah. shut down. So we can get angry. They'll get more defensive or they'll get, uh, but either way, what they're not going to be able to do is better articulate how they feel. Mm -hmm. Right. So in, in that kind of a situation, the next time you run into somebody being passive aggressive, I wonder if we could come up with a way and just brainstorm it right now about how, something that you could do or say in that situation that would create a more safe and curious environment that they are then like, oh, Joe actually, she's on my team. Yeah. And it might be that. It might be that you say, hey, I'm on your team right now. 
And I want us to figure out what hurts. I want us to figure out what matters. I want to figure out what your need is, right? Because that's yeah. usually what it is. They're, they either need something or they don't need, or they don't want something, right? right? So it's like, we're, let's figure this out together. And, and the growth that comes to you as a result of approaching it with curiosity, right? right? Where you're saying, hey, I know that this is frustrating for you. I can already tell you're not telling me. I can already see that you do not have the vocabulary or the desire to tell me what's going on, but I care about you. Right. And I want us to figure this out together. So if you'll allow me, I want to ask some more. I want to ask some questions. I want to okay. get to know the situation, right? And then when you do that kind of a thing, I'm just, I'm role playing a bit, right? Okay. And then, and then, uh, and then what might happen is they might open up a little bit more and say, okay, Joe's on my team. Let's see if we can figure some of this out together. And what ends up happening is you're looking for words, right? You're looking for words that they don't quite have mm -hmm. that you don't have because it's in their right. heart, in their mind. And then when you're looking for those words, you get to explore, like try them on like clothes at a store. And you need these kind of metaphors so that you get less angry and you realize, listen, I'm going shopping with somebody that doesn't know what they want. Yeah. It's frustrating, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's really fucking annoying. Yeah. But if you make it, okay, this is just experimentation. We're just trying things on. Then next time you find a word and you say, you know, it seems like maybe you're impatient. Maybe it seems like uh, you're not happy to be here. Maybe you're like, uh, oh, like, uh, I just don't feel comfortable in this environment. And you say, okay, maybe you're uncomfortable in this environment. And they say, no, it's not that. Perfect. Right. Great. It's not that. We know that it's not that. Oh, so you are yeah. comfortable. And so it's like, we put that on, we put on those pants of comfort and we say, yeah, we're, we're wearing these pants. And then it's we're slowly building up that kind of an experience of realizing that you are on the same team and trying to explore life together from being on the same side of the table as opposed to adversaries right. where they're not giving you what you want and and you're not getting what you want and then suddenly it's like now nobody's actually happy right. and we didn't learn anything and now there's more distance when we both actually at the end of it we both just want a closeness mm -hmm. so maybe using that metaphor of like hey we're gonna try and some clothes together right i don't know if you're a clothes person i'm not really a clothes person i am a clothes person I, okay that's great i'm glad that landed because <laughs> i just go with whatever comes to mind first so when you're tr when you're getting into that situation next mm -hmm. time Next time you're in that situation with somebody who isn't quite articulating themselves directly enough so that you can meet them there. Mm -hmm. What's the approach? What are you going to try? I'm going to ask them. I'm going to try to pinpoint what they're feeling. So ask them if they're uncomfortable or ask them if they're feeling impatient or like their needs are not being met or just like try out different things that they could be feeling and see if one of them clicks. Okay. And before you do that, because that's really important. But before you do that, make sure you align with them first. Because a lot of the time- Let them know that I'm on their team. I'm on your team. Right, okay. We're gonna figure this out together because you care, because right. you want closeness. If you can tell them what you want and it's to be close with them, right? Emotionally and uh, to be on the same page and aligned, mm -hmm. then they're gonna, how, who's gonna turn that shit down, right? right? And if they say, you know, I could really, Joe, that's fine, but I could really use some space right now. That's okay. Then I just give them space. That's okay. Right. But you say, amazing, take the space. Mm -hmm. But when you're ready to come back, I really wanna, I wanna learn something about us I want to learn something about you, and then that allows me to learn something about me. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, something to try. Sick! Because I, I, I see the emotional intel intelligence in you, right? Yeah. I see the desire to, you know, 
you come over here, you're willing to have these kinds of conversations, you hold boundaries against people that are trying to pull you in directions that don't resonate <laughs> with you. That's important, yeah. right? And, but there's still always room for this growth there. And it's actually people like you and I, that we need to put ourselves in situations where we're frustrated and we're annoyed, and then right. we need to choose differently. Okay. And that's where the growth comes in. That's, that's when, when you are in a frustrating situation and you choose to do something differently, that's where you expand and then you realize, holy shit, so many conflicts I've had, so many confrontations, so many people that get on my nerves, it all evaporates and you kind of level up in the world and you right. say, okay, now I show up to human connection differently. You know? Yeah. Does that resonate? Yes. Cool. That is so cool. Are you like making a podcast or something? I'm, I am making a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Do you want to follow it along? I would love to. Cool. This is so neat. Um, oh it is gosh. called schwa.wanders on Instagram. Okay. Let me write it down. And you just like talk to people? Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. I'm still trying to figure it out, but I basically quit my job, walked away from everything that I own, broke up with my girlfriend, uh, <laughs> sold everything, and I live in a van that's parked down the street. Wow. And I just uh, spent the last month driving here from Canada, and I'm just, this is my first day. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I'm just testing it out right now. Well, what you resonates. will definitely find lots of people to talk to you in I hope Boulder, so. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I appreciate and that. And this was amazing. Thank you. So cool. It's Thank a free you. therapy session. So thanks. We feel like I should <laughs> yeah. pay you or something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I will follow <laughs> your podcast when it yep. comes out. Yeah, I appreciate Thank that. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> Have a great rest of your day. Lifelong progress is best measured by curiosity. Asking questions and choosing to engage with the unfamiliar gives us the best antidote to getting stuck. Stagnation increases the sense of scarcity and loss and makes us feel powerless. Curiosity almost certainly keeps us younger. What are you most curious about? As the sun slanted shadows across the quieting street, I declared this first foray into street podcasting a success. Like I had shared with Anne-Marie, I had shown up and tried, and as a bonus, even without any sign or branding or plan, people had engaged with me anyway. I was encouraged that this would be a useful way to connect with people in other cities. I packed up my ambiguous show, drove to the local library, ready to meet an adventurous Instagram follower named Josh.